Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Friday, September 25th, and this is your FT News Briefing. I'm Mark Filipino. Here's where we are on this Friday. It's 39 days until Election Day in the U.S. President Donald Trump is refusing to commit to a peaceful transfer of power if he loses, threatening a hallmark of America's democracy. Protests continue for racial justice across the country after a grand jury indicted only one of the three police officers involved in the shooting of Breonna Taylor. Jobless claims came in worse than expected. Clearly, the coronavirus is still wreaking havoc in the U.S., which also happens to be the country with the most deaths worldwide, 200,000 as of this week. Congress still hasn't figured out how to pass a new coronavirus relief bill. That's one reason the S&P 500 is down about 8% this month. And then... There's the other big news, the death of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg and the Republican push to replace her immediately with a conservative judge, even though the election is just weeks away. I'm sure this will all come up in the first presidential debate on Tuesday. So given all that, I can't think of a better person to talk with than our D.C. Bureau Chief, Dmitry Sevastopilo. Dmitry, how you doing after a week like this one? Uh, you know, I've been covering Trump now for, uh, you know, five years. So it's, I'm, it's, it's a little bit par for the course. Every day you think it can't get any busier, it can't get any crazier than the day before. And every day you're surprised and proven wrong. A seasoned veteran, if you will. Dimitri, not to turn this into a, a civics lesson, but why is the replacement of a Supreme Court justice considered an election issue right now? Well, I think the, the most important reason is that this is a chance for Republicans to make the, the nine-seat court solidly conservative and putting in place what would really be the biggest swing on the court, ideological swing, in about three decades since Clarence Thomas, who currently sits on the court, succeeded Thurgood Marshall, who was a civil rights champion. You know, recently there have been a lot of decisions that have been very close, 5-4 in either direction. And although five of the current eight judges were actually appointed by Republicans, John Roberts, who's the Chief Justice and was appointed by George W. Bush, has recently sometimes sided with the liberal wing. So if the Republicans can get one more conservative judge on the court, essentially you will get a 6-3 conservative liberal split or on occasions a 5-4 in favor of conservatives if Roberts goes over with the liberals. So there's huge stakes and its decisions have very long-lasting impact, particularly on many of the cultural issues that are kind of critical fault lines when it comes to the presidential election. I'm curious, which ones come to mind? I know the Affordable Care Act is something that the bench is supposed to have hearings on in early November, but you know that, what else? Well, so obviously the election itself, but then there are a slew of other issues that are very important to progressives, which you know could be on the docket. Obamacare, which was you know the landmark Affordable Care Act, there is a hearing on that uh, shortly after the election. So if you had a, a six-three or again five-four conservative majority, there's a much higher chance that the Obamacare will be thrown out. For progressives or Democrats is a, always going to be a big deal, but it's a particularly big deal right now because there are millions of Americans who've lost their jobs because of the pandemic. And in losing their jobs, they've also lost their health insurance. So I don't have precise numbers at my fingertips, but you have an awful lot of people who are relying on Obamacare to pay for you know as much as their medical uh, costs as possible. So I think that really raises the stakes. Another really important case is the 1973 Roe versus Wade, which uh, allowed abortion in the US. 
And then finally, affirmative action is uh, something that I think would also be potentially a target if you had a much stronger conservative court. Yeah, and for a long time, the Supreme Court has has been often viewed as this nonpartisan entity. And, uh, you know, over the last few years, especially since 2016, we've seen it become a more partisan issue. And, and that's that's really reflected in the Senate. It has a huge role here. Republicans almost certainly have the numbers to push through a nominee. Um, but we've seen a couple of senators voice concern over going ahead with the process before the election. Uh, why is that the case? The senators in question, Republican Susan Collins from Maine, to a lesser extent, Cory Gardner from Colorado, and Lisa Murkowski from Alaska, particularly Susan Collins and Cory Gardner, they face very tight Senate re-election races in November uh, in states that are very tightly divided between conservatives and liberals. And both of those senators are concerned that you know, if they're seen as rushing ahead too quickly, they may be punished by some independents who haven't made up their mind. Now, Susan Collins has come out and said that she doesn't think it's a good idea to go ahead and hold a vote before the election. Uh, Cory Gardner has taken a gamble, and he has said that he will support Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Republican leader. So you have a lot at stake, and, you know, the Democrats are desperate to try and do something to block this. But it really feels at this point that the Republicans essentially have the votes to push through their nominee, and it's really now a question of timing. Um, Dimitri, turning to the White House, Donald Trump said that he would announce his nominee this Saturday, tomorrow, and he's emphasized that he wants a vote before the election. Why is he pushing so hard for that outcome? Donald Trump obviously wants to win re-election. He has said that he thinks there's going to be a contested election, that this election is going to be very messy because of postal votes and other things. And he's very worried that if the Supreme Court is called to adjudicate the results after November 3rd, what if the court is split 4-4? There's only eight justices and ninth hasn't been installed yet. And it goes against him or he doesn't get a majority. So he wants the ninth justice in to make it a reliably conservative either 6-3 or 5-4 bench so that if the election is contested, he feels that he has essentially kind of an insurance policy. Now, Dimitri, I want to go back to something you, you said a little earlier about the president being concerned about his ability to recapture the White House or planning for what would happen if it is a close race and it does come down to the Supreme Court. Um, I'm going to play you a clip of something he said on Wednesday. Blue states, will you commit to making sure that there is a peaceful transfer of power after the election? Well, we're going to have to see what happens. You know that I've been complaining very strongly about the ballots and the ballots are a disaster. I mean, let's not let's not sugarcoat it here, Dimitri. This is a big deal, um, and frankly, unprecedented in terms of the way that nominees and incumbents handle the election. What what are we looking at here potentially? Well, what he said was stunning. Now, for months, Trump has cast doubt on the kind of fidelity of the election. Again, suggesting that mail-in ballots is going to be involve a lot of fraud and corruption and this is a sham election being pushed by the democrats because they think it will favor them he hasn't offered any evidence to, to back up those claims but that's what he's been saying but he took it one big step further on wednesday and that is a stunning thing for the president of a democracy a first world democracy to say and it sparked a retort from mitt romney who's the republican utah senator and former Republican presidential nominee who competed and lost against Barack Obama, who said, 
that any suggestion, and I'm quoting here, that a president might not respect this constitutional guarantee is both unthinkable and unacceptable. And then he said, you know, to do that would be to compare America to Belarus. So I think there are some Republicans who are very worried that even though they want a Republican president in the White House, they think that Trump is actually taking the U.S. down a very, very dangerous path. And if not a dangerous path, certainly an unprecedented one. Um, Dimitri, Let's look to next week. It's the first presidential debate between Trump and Democratic nominee Joe Biden. What can we expect there? Uh, That is the million-dollar question. The debate topics that have been chosen for this one, the first one in Ohio, are, you know, Trump and Biden's records, you know, what they've done in their political life, the Supreme Court, uh, coronavirus, the economy, and then race and violence in American cities and the integrity of the election. Um, You know, Trump tends to debate less about policy. And, you know, he will be calling Biden Sleepy Joe and he will be bringing up all of his name calling. I do think Biden will try and stay above the fray and prosecute the case against Trump being incompetent in COVID. Biden is notoriously not very disciplined. Now, in his campaign so far, because it's been mostly virtual, you know, it's been easier to be disciplined. There's less opportunity to go off piste. You know, this is a night where Trump will be jabbing him, and Biden is not great when he is jabbed. He can sometimes get a little bit angry. So Biden might be provoked into saying something stupid. Um, and I think really the the debate is interesting also in the sense that I think there's more downside for Biden because everyone has seen Trump all day long for the last, you know, four or five years. It's at this point, almost inconceivable that Trump would say something that would surprise people. It might surprise them a little bit, but then they'll sit back and say, well, actually, he says a lot of things that are not that surprising anymore. So so it's going to be hard for Trump to shock people. Yeah, I guess we'll just have to see when they face off next Tuesday, September 29th, in the first presidential debate of the election season. Dimitri Sevastopilo is the FT's DC bureau chief. Thanks, Dimitri. Thank you, Mark. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back next week for the latest business news. The FT News Briefing is produced by Fiona Simon and me, Mark Filipino. Our editor is Dan Bobkoff. We had help from Gavin Coleman, Michael Bruning, and Amy Keene. Our theme song is by Metaphor Music. This is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit from a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.